We are in Joshua, because we started in Genesis, and then on Wednesday nights we went through Exodus, and then we decided to preach through Numbers, which is the worst named book of the Bible. Well, it is, because that's um, Latin, the, the God didn't name, well, in his sovereignty he called it Numbers. It's a good name, however... In the wilderness is the name that uh, the Hebrew people uh, would know it as, as they um, would see it in their in the Hebrew Bibles. In the wilderness, God spoke, and so we went through the wilderness wilderness with the people of Israel, and um, so we got to the Jordan River, and we couldn't leave everybody there. So we're over on the other side of the Jordan now, and God is. Um, commanding his people. So we talked about last time, and we had to break this chapter up into a couple of segments as they were told to um, circle around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they circled seven times to blow the shofars, the, the trumpets, and um, the walls came tumbling down, and then they were to go in and, and devote the entire city to destruction. So we're going to look at this, but in particular, in particular, this morning, we're going to look at um, the salvation of Rahab. The harlot and what that means um, for us today so let, let's pray before we go to his word father god we thank you for your word that um, and by your spirit that we're able to understand true truth about you that it would be transformative in our lives that we wouldn't just hear this and, and check something off that we've done today or that would just feel better about things but that we would know that we have true communion with you through your word read, your word preached, your word prayed and sung, and that we would carry this um, transformative, incarnative message um, into our world, into our life, that, that, um, that every time we have an encounter with you, that it would move us closer to you and closer to our neighbors. So Lord, we pray now that you would bless this time, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, we're going to do this. Um, Joshua chapter 6. Hold it there. Go back to Joshua chapter 2 so we get the right context of what happens with, with, with Rahab's story because it just sort of picks up. Um, we're told what Rahab did and a lot of things happen and then finally Rahab is rescued. But you kind of need to know um, what was going on as well. So, Joshua chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Um, try not to hear it like it's just something you're hearing somebody read, but put yourself in the position you're there. Um, you're experiencing what they're experiencing in some way. And it's just, it's um, so that it's like when you're at a movie and um, you get so caught up into what's going on that um, you jump when somebody jumps, that sort of thing, that you feel what the people there feel. And so this is what God uh, would have for us as we hear his word, that we would, we would put ourselves um, in this situation. So Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying go view the land. View the land. Especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho. Behold men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. 
And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard... How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then down to verse 19. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head. So we have this promised protection of Rahab and her family. And then we go to Joshua chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. So it's this walled city. Um, none went out. None came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Then shall, you, then shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up. Everyone straight before him. And then we go to verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. 
But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. The word of the Lord. So one thing to, to first note here is that there's a lot of time given to, to Rahab in the scripture here, in the story. It could have easily have just been something that happened and wasn't mentioned. There are many things that had to have happened, and, and they aren't mentioned here in scripture at all. But Rahab is. Rahab um, is... It is an intentional picture of the salvation of the Gentiles. Non-Jewish, pagan, evil people deserving the wrath and curse of God. And she and her household get saved. And so, and it's a big deal. They make a big deal of it. And not just here in the, the Old Testament. So what we really need to ask ourselves is, is this question. Why was Rahab saved? Why was Rahab saved? Because if you look at verse 17 here in Joshua chapter 6, it says that the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So in the, the Hebrew, it's this word cherem, which means the ban. Um, the New American Standard said that just, um, Jericho was put under the ban. Uh, if you have a King James Bible, it says that Jericho was accursed. And these are all good translations of what that word cherem means. And if, if a city was under cherem, if it was, under, it was accursed, if it were under the ban, it was devoted to destruction. And as we're going to see in the next chapter, what happens if somebody kind of disobeys that, how that brings a curse on the people. And so there were some things that silver and gold and iron objects and some things that they were going to put into the treasury of the Lord. And that's what stuff this belonged to God. 
Anything else that he said tonight was devoted to destruction. And that included people and the cattle and all the animals. Because sin brings um, uncleanness on the land as we see even the world, the earth is cursed um, in Genesis. But then you have Rahab and her family are not devoted to destruction. And what we'll see is they become devoted to the Lord and how this happens. But why? Why was Rahab saved? And we see an answer in verse 25. It says, uh, Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive because she... We don't have time to talk about household salvation, household, um, you know, the, the covenant being made with households, representations. It goes back to the Passover. You put the blood over your doorpost and, um, and, and everyone within the house is saved. And so um, this is Rahab seeing some, some of this and asking for this herself. And we see a little picture of this. And, and she says, it says here in Scripture, all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day. And why? And it says, you know, the word there, because. Because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And they had vowed a vow to save her. It doesn't say that, but we saw that. But this is what she did and what, this is why she saved. But it wasn't just because of her works. And we had to be kind of careful with that because it can look like, why was Rahab saved? And it says clearly because of what she did. So if we're getting any kind of a picture of what our salvation would look like, then it would be we're going to be saved because of what we do. But we'll see that God never saves based on works. That we, we blew that in the garden. There's no way to be saved by works now. You, you could attempt to live. I heard something this morning on the, the podcast I was listening to, um, the White Horse Inn, and they were talking about justification and he said that uh, it's something I've been thinking about is the nation of Israel under the Mosaic Covenant, under Moses and the law. And when you read the Psalms of David and things like this, it sounds like prosperity gospel. Do good, you shall prosper. And then he says, if you listen to prosperity preachers and churches today, they typically go and draw all that from the Old Testament. And he says, and what you see is a, a, a prosperity message. He says, it is a prosperity message. He said, but the point was, if you have perfect obedience, you will prosper. You can't have perfect obedience. Let me get this into your head one more time. It is not by works should be saved. The law could not save anyone. It was not the purpose of the law. It's not, you're not able to be saved by the law. And so what we see here is Rahab is saved from destruction because of what she did. And so we had to really think this through because we're all under the ban. We're all under destruction. We're all committed to destruction. If you read Genesis, you understand what we call the meta-narrative, the overarching story of grace and God and what he's doing in the world is we know that from Adam we've inherited sin natures and we've been cursed. That we live in a cursed world and that we're all fall under the, the curse of God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, devoted to destruction. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Because the world is condemned already. And so that's the issue. There are no neutral people.
people in the world and God is watching and waiting to see you know, what's going to happen. Um, whether it be some point system or balances and scales or whatever it is, it's like, no, everyone's born in sin and born hopefully lost and without hope except for Christ. And yet here we see this thing in Scripture where we do see Rahab uh, being saved because of what she did. And we might would say, well, she's just saved physically. It doesn't talk about her eternal soul, infinite soul. It's talking about just saved physically. But this is all a picture of the gospel. It says in the New Testament that these things happen for our instruction. And so she is a picture, which we're going to see in the New Testament in a minute, of how people are saved even today. We had to remember Genesis 2.17, the day you eat, you shall die. Adam represented all of us. He ate. And so we all are dead in Adam. But in Christ, through faith, we all live. Those who are in, in him. Um, but perhaps Rahab was different. You might think, well, you know, Rahab's a, a good woman. You know, she's just, there's some good people that tend to just, they get it sometimes. And I think it's, it's, it's not without consequence that, you know, they call her the prostitute. King James, you know, the harlot. Um, they call her that. This is what she is. This is what her name is. This is what she does. But she loses that name later. We see her listed um, in the New Testament and stuff because she's, she, she leaves that life. But we're not left with the idea that she was holy and pure. And therefore God tends to work with holy and pure people. He used prostitute. And they just came across her. God's sovereign plan to use Rahab the prostitute, the only one that gets saved out of the whole place. There had to be people who weren't prostitutes. There had to be people there that they might would say, at least I'm not as bad as Rahab. And yet we know through scripture that all of Jericho, all of this land for 400 years have been overlooked and we're getting more and more and more evil to the point of all sorts of evil things, sacrificing their children to demons, um, worshiping demons, just, uh, sexual sins and, and, and uh, unclean things, just all sorts of things um, happening um, that God had overlooked for, for so long and continued to get worse and worse until the time for his, um, his wrath and curse and judgment was coming upon them through the nation of Israel. But there were still people, even in, even in the midst of that, you know, there's always these hierarchies. Um, no matter where you are, no matter how bad everybody around you is, um, there's always somebody that's worse than you. Somebody that's a pecking order. And so in Jericho, even Rahab lived on the outskirts in the wall. So that when people went to see her, um, you didn't want to be seen and stuff. So even then, they had these little moralities that God's placed in people's hearts and things. But what we see with this is, we certainly would never, we can't scripturally say that Rahab was worse than everybody else. Or that we are better than Rahab. But God is, is, is intentionally using her so that even we see there's no possibility that maybe she was one person that was in all of this morass of sin that never was affected by it. Sort of like Lot or something, where he just he lived among she lived among these people but wasn't affected by it. She was. But then something else happened to Rahab. And we have to see how significant this is that God uses a harlot to show his grace 
and mercy and salvation in the midst of this great destruction that's coming. So you can't miss that either. And what's it by? By fire. You know, there's going to be killing. There's going to be fire. There's going to be burned. And so we have to look forward and say, this is a picture of judgment to come. Um, I don't like being a fire and brimstone preacher. But if the Bible's talking about it, we're going to talk about it. And here it is. This is a little, these judgment things that are happening. And we can't escape the fact that it's, it, it does await those who are outside of Christ. And it should, it should terrify us. But why? Why was Rahab the one? Why a harlot? And again, I think it's so that we aren't fooled into thinking that only the proper and respectable people are the ones that are used or the ones that God's going to save. That somehow you have to get your life cleaned up first before God can do anything. Or that he would save us or love us. And so no one is beyond the hope and mercy of God. It's a big, big point here that, that her sin of harlotry and her sin of lying, they were overlooked. You know, so yeah, I don't want to take too much of an aside, but it's like, well, what do you want Rahab to do? Say, you know, where are the men? Oh, I hit them up there. You know, why are you going to go to trouble hiding somebody if you're just going to tell them where they are? And it's like God in his sovereign plan used Rahab's... Um, uh, lying her her faith that was new this is what she did and God used it and it's interesting to watch I've heard Dr. Kelly would say I think it was him God uses sin sinlessly so there are times in our lives where we've sinned and um, knowingly and then years later you look and it's like well God used it for good and I can see how he did it it doesn't give us an excuse or justification for sinning, but it is good to see that God uses even our sins. He's even planned the world to operate taking our sin into account. It doesn't excuse it, but it does help us to see, um, one, um, things that maybe you've done in the past that were sinful, that God can use those things for good, but you also understand, stop it. Don't put God to the test. There's lots of bad things that occur temporarily to us as well. And we want to live to please God and to love God. But we have to understand that no one is beyond his hope and mercy. And that God in his sovereignty even used Rahab and her lying. But why was Rahab saved? It was not just because of what she did. But it's because she did what she did because of what she had. She did what she did because of what she had. So what she had? So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews, so they're very close to Revelation. Before you get to James, Hebrews 11. And we'll start down in verse 29. This is the faith chapter. We started our worship service with this. As you're looking for it, I'll read the beginning. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then we go through this faith chapter where it talks about all these great men and women of the, of the faith that have, have done these amazing things. And we get to verse 29. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, 
the walls of Jericho. Here we are, a little thing where we are now. This is brought up again in, in Hebrews as an example of faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. So, was that by faith or by God's power? It's obviously by God's power. Where did faith come in? Well, you had to walk around that city six times, and on the seventh day, you had to walk around seven times, and you big, do a big shout, and you blow the shofar, and the walls are going tumbling down. And you could have looked at, at that and said, uh, you know, if a general told you that, you know, say, you've lost your mind, I'm out of here. And they could have easily have said that. They've said it to God many times in the history of Israel. No, we're going back to Egypt. It's better than Egypt. It's what the first generation did. It's not these people. These people said, God said it, I'll do it. And so they go and they do it by faith. So it was, So what did they happen? And, you know, you're messing with the sovereignty of God, so they were going to. But if they didn't, then, you know, maybe they perish. Was it because they lacked obedience or because they lacked faith? Absolutely. And that's what we have to see. Faith, the connection between what we do and what we believe. Our faith and our works. So, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. They brought her up again here. This is important. I mean, you don't have to be brought up many times in Scripture to be seen as important. I mean, I don't know how many times you're in Scripture. But, you know, Rahab gets it several times. Old Testament, New Testament. And here we are. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. So was she saved by faith or by works? It says by faith she did this. This is a faith chapter. But look what she did by faith. Is what she did by faith. She did what she did because of what she had. She had faith. And if you look at, well, let me just, you can look at Joshua 2.11 or I'll just read it here. It says, Rahab's telling him about, we all know about God. We saw you guys, Yahweh, the Lord. Um, we, we heard about you crossing the Red Sea on him to Egyptians. I mean, they, they, they didn't have Twitter and they, they got the information. And, they, and we heard about you defeating these two great kings before you crossed over. And now we know that you crossed over the Jordan and all the people are just, they're, they're dead. They're, they're in their souls, their spirits. They're just like, they've melted. And then Rahab says this, Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She makes a little faith statement. And she could have just been repeating something she'd, she'd heard. But yeah, she did hear this stuff. Where'd she hear these things? It's interesting that, that not only that there's a powerful God, but that he's the God of heaven. He's the God of earth. And she's believing this is what were finally revealed in the, in the New Testament. What they knew in the Old Testament was that John, Rahab isn't just saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm placing my bets on you guys. It's like she believes. She has faith. God has, and we talked about this when we preached Chapter 2, God has already been there where he's sending his people to go and do this work that they have no idea how this is going to come out except by faith that God's in control. He's already got people there. He's already has Rahab, the prostitute, saved by faith so that he might save Israel even through her. And you know she's in the line of, of Jesus. He ends up marrying um, Ruth's father, is that right? And... Um, 
and is in the line of Jesus Christ. God's already there. And it's through faith that she did these things. Rahab heard and she believed and feared. The people had heard and they believed and they feared too. The people believed that God, somebody had done this. This is supernatural. They knew it. And the people were so afraid that they locked themselves up and they, their spirits melted like wax inside them. That's the faith they had. That they believed that there was some spiritual force, God, power behind these people. And they've got us. And then Rahab believed and she said, and that God is good and right. And we do deserve destruction and these spies need to be saved. Rather than thinking, perhaps I can. I mean, this could have all been big manipulation. You know, I'll, I'll help these guys, you know, like the Nazi sympathizers when they would come into a country or something, but it wasn't like that. She explicitly told in the New Testament she had faith. And she did these things by her faith. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. By faith. But we have to be careful that we do not make a savior out of our morality. That, you, that we have to know you, we cannot be righteous enough. And yet, in Joshua, we're told that Rahab was saved because of what she did. But she only was able to do what she did because she had faith. Her heart had been changed, and the result was changed behavior. And action that she did because she believed. So, the New Testament is not through with her yet. So we go to the next book of the Bible, James, chapter 2. It's like two or three pages over. Or if you have the ESV study Bible, 20 pages over. So James chapter 2, verse 14. Um, James is talking about works and faith. He says, what good is it, my brothers? So he's talking to believers. If someone says that he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's a pivotal line. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. And the demons believe and shudder, as did the people of Jericho. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There's all kinds of ways to mess with that passage and make it mean something it doesn't mean just by quoting it. <laughs> yeah, so you have to be careful that we use the Bible to interpret the Bible and that we make sure that our applications of the things that we, that we hear um, don't lead us astray into thinking that a person is saved by works. However, James is quite adamant, as was Hebrews, as was Joshua, that it's not just faith, but it is just faith. But he makes the point here, and he says there's two kinds of faith. And this is what we had to be careful of. There's living faith, and there's dead faith. And according to James, there's a faith that's dead. So dead faith, believing true things about God, but it does not affect an inward change. So think about that. Believing true things about God, but it not affecting an inward change. Demons believe true things about God. They aren't internally changed by it. They use that as an example to say, and such are some of you. This should really terrify us. This should really, and I've had, when I preach, I shouldn't say stuff like this, but I've already gone too far now. There are several things, there are a few things that I've said from here, and it just bothers people. Um, this is one of them that everybody should question their faith. And there are some people who, it's like you have strong assurance of salvation. That's great. I'm just saying, make sure. And I think I'm on the Bible side when I say this. But there will be people that have come up to me in the past and say, don't attack people's assurance of salvation. I'm not attacking it. I, I want to honor it. I want to, to, to make it stronger. I want you to be able to look at your faith and not have a false sense of assurance. I mean, what percentage of church-going people are going to end up in hell and they're going to be like, what? And then, I mean, the Bible clearly says there will be some in that day who said, didn't I do miracles in your name? Didn't I do all these things in your name? And Jesus will look them right in the face and go, depart from me, you worker of unrighteousness. I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Is it you? I mean, all have to ask is me. Is it you? I don't want to sit here and look at you and go, let me think if it's you or not. Let me examine yourself. Examine yourself. Do you have a dead faith? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he's not trying to say, save yourself. He's saying, okay, you're saying you have faith. Well, let's see you do some outworking. You know, let's get some outworking going in fear and trembling. Not just like, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I believe. I got my get out of the hell free card. You know, I did whatever it is to do that. I walked in aisle. I said the prayer. I gave the money. I did it. Whatever. I do the works. So you had to be careful. Rahab could have done what she did, but not have faith, and she would have perished with everybody else. That's because of faith, as we see in the New Testament. So we are commanded to ask ourselves this question. Do I possess a living faith? 
if you don't want to ask yourself that question, a fear for you. I mean, why would you not want to ask that question? Make sure I'm in the faith. I want to make sure. I mean, unless you don't really believe in hell, you don't really believe. And then say, well, if I don't really believe in hell, am I in the faith? You know, how can I know? And Jesus said, well, a tree is known by its fruit. In Luke 6, he says, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So hopefully you all know there's enough within each of us to be able to give evidence for the fact that maybe we're not saved. I kind of see some bad fruit. But I read recently some quote from somewhere. It says it's not the, oh, it was Thomas Watson, whatever book that is I'm reading, the Puritan. Um, it's not the falling in the water that kills you, it's the staying there. You know, you're not getting out of it. And so we all sin, and it's just a further indication of the fact that we need a Savior. But what we do with that and where we dwell in that and, and the fruit of this uh, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit with the kids in Children's Church. We're trying to get them to memorize over the past several weeks, the, the next the upcoming weeks. You know, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? You know, at all, somewhat. You pray for it. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And not, not perfectly... And you don't have to be a believer to kind of experience some of these things, but this is a fruit of the Spirit. So do you see these things increasing? Do you desire these things to come from the Spirit? And then a lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he said, it is, he said it's about love. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say the Ten Commandments. But he did, because that's what the Ten Commandments are. <laughs> it's love the Lord thy God, thy heart, soul, mind, strength. First four. And love your neighbor as yourself. The last six commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? It's a demonstration of how we love God and how we love people. That we would keep his commandments. Not to get saved, but out of faith. We see him as a guide to how we all live our lives. So we have to ask our questions. Do we have a living faith with the fruit of the Spirit? Do we love God? Do we love our neighbor? And if we do, then our actions should show it. But actions can be faked. And they can be done out of not out of faith, but out of fear or out of resentful obligation. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control should flow from a life with Christ. It flows from a life that knows that we're all devoted to destruction. And then we have the one who's taken our place and substituted the Father's wrath for us on his place. It flows from a heart changed by God, is driven by the Spirit of God into the Scriptures, into prayer, into fellowship with believers, into um, being on our knees for the lost, being willing to, 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 do, to endure insult for his name. Knowing that our lives are forfeit. But in Christ, we also we know that we're no longer devoted to destruction. That we're devoted to the Lord. And therefore, we're to shine in this world. But we're to do good deeds before people. So that our light might shine. So that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That we would love and we'd love all people. 
that we'd love black people and white people, that we would love old people and young people. We love Republicans and Democrats. We would love the born and the unborn. We would love those we call friends and those we call enemies. That we would desire that our enemies could be called one day our friends. Because we know that if they're enemies of Christ, they're devoted to destruction. And that should concern us and grieve our hearts greatly as it did Christ. But we were bought. Like Rahab, we were saved. We heard Jesus and his death for us and how he still lives and that he lives on and we live in him. So now we're to preach the gospel to ourselves. And I think what we have to ask is, so, you know, what if you think maybe you're not saved? But if you do go down that path and you do start looking at your life and you do become convinced, because Satan will jump right on that and say, look at you, who are you? You can't be, you know, who are you to claim salvation? Look at this, look at this, look at this. And you know if you're honest. It's like anytime somebody plays the piano or the guitar or something, it's like, did you make any mistakes? And they're like, oh yeah, you know. But maybe nobody else even heard them. But we're our own worst critics. Or you can be so prideful that you're your own best um, cheerleader and you can't see anything wrong and that can be a problem too but if you do begin to question your salvation what do you do with it what do you say to satan what do you say to your flesh that works against you or the world that wants to come against you and say you're not good enough you, you agree i mean that's you, you agree no i am not good enough and that's the gospel i know the one who is and I cling to that and I trust in that. And, and I would say also, if you're struggling with this at all, plead with God to increase your faith. We should all do that. More faith. What do you want? I want more faith. Wisdom, faith, all these things. But just faith. And long for your sin to be put to death in the flesh. Because it's already nailed to the cross. And, and profess your faith to other people. It helps. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, praise the Lord. Read your Bible. Go to church. Listen to you know, all these things that we're called to do. Um, but it comes down to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. And if you don't understand the gospel, then I don't know how you can know you're saved except by works. And those are going to let you down because nobody's good enough. And that's what Jesus, that's his office. The one who is perfect and the redeemer. So let's pray. Father God, you saved Rahab, Rahab by faith. She was a prostitute. Such are some of us. We haven't sinned that sin. We've sinned equally grievous sins. And if we haven't, it's just because we didn't have opportunity. So Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be um, prideful about our position in Christ, that we would see our good deeds and know that they're done in Christ and that they would give glory to you and that we'd be able to say, left to ourselves, we only spiral downward. Help us to cling to you and to the gospel. And if we do, if any here question whether or not they're saved, we pray that they would make sure they believe in the gospel. Do I believe the truth that I deserve hell? That Jesus Christ took pity that the Father sent His Son into the world, that the world might be saved through Him, that all who believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Help us to cling to that, knowing that we have such grace 
that we can go out in fields of grace and, and do stuff in the world. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Help us to not depend on our works, but on you, the ground of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's all stand together as we sing our closing hymn.